guys welcome to run that ish back where i'm your host lauren lee i will be saying the things that you have been told not to say your entire life the first episode is called what's the hype about hbcus I initially wanted this episode to be about HBCUs and why I love them and why we need more spaces for black people, but I think it would be pointless for me to talk about HBCUs and black people without first acknowledging what's happening in the world. So if you watch the news or you have social media, you saw on Wednesday, um, white people came to the Capitol and decided to terrorize. Um, these are all pro-Trump supporters that we also know as terrorists. Um, they decided that they wanted to come to DC for some random reason, but we all know that it's not random. So on January 6th, this is the day that Senate was going to confirm, um, Biden and Harris as the VP and president uh, for 2021. And surprisingly, out of nowhere, white people decided to come to the Capitol to cause havoc. Some of them even said that they came to let people know that they stand up for things and they're not going to back down easily. And it's just like, what are you standing up for? America has already decided that we didn't want Trump anymore and Trump isn't going to be president. So you're a little late to the game. Nothing you can do to change anything. But the most interesting thing about this process is that like, in many ways, black people just sat back and were amazed, not shocked, but amazed by how many times like people, the white people were able to enter this uh, public government building, national, almost monument in, a, um, in many minds, and enter it freely and destroy it just because they felt like it. So as you know, when we have Black Lives Matter protests, we could just be walking down the street. These streets could be very much so the streets that we grew up on, the streets that we pay taxes for living for, living at, and then all of a sudden police are ready to like shoot and kill with little to no remorse, little to no action that prompts them to do things. They just do it because the color of our skin. But for some reason, like these white people, he comes to the Capitol and just show their ass, like show up how white people have always shown up in these public places, have shown up how history has showed us that that's who they are, like just naturally, like it's not a fake, it's not a facade, this is who white people are. And only 13 people were arrested. Now when Breonna Taylor, the verdict came back that like no charges were going to be charged against the um, the police officer, 14,000 people people were arrested. 14,000 people were arrested just for protesting peacefully. 13 people were arrested and one eventually killed for like terrorizing a government building. Mind you, back in July, when, uh, you know, they were making protests in Portland, Trump, little Donald Duck, uh, he tweeted that if, you know, people, the protester messed up government courthouses, they could be sentenced to jail for 10 years minimum. Where were those same laws when it came to these white people? And what I need you to really picture is what was happening. The Capitol, the Senate is there about to vote the electoral college votes to basically confirm what we already know to be true. The only one in denial are these same white people and Donald Trump. They're basically going to count the votes and confirm that 
you know, Biden and Harris won. Then all of a sudden, it's like a scene out of Planet of the Apes. Like when the apes decide they want to revolt against humans, it's a scene out of Planet of the Apes. They're breaking through barricades. They're climbing walls, literally climbing the wall to get to the Capitol get inside the Capitol, breaking windows, like breaking into offices, sitting in people's offices to take pictures, leave notes, um, sitting in the Senate, um, just, you know, just taking pictures, destroying things and like just propping themselves, themselves up to show that they have power. And the problem with all this that really makes this as basic as fuck as it is, if you really begin to think about it, like white people, did all this traveled from all around the world just to treat the Capitol like it was Madame Tussauds. Like you did all of this. You didn't burn nothing down. You didn't necessarily protest for anything to be changed. You traveled from all around the world just to show your ass and to take pictures on Instagram as if these were props at Madame Tussauds and you were on vacation or touring sightseeing some big city or something. Like that's how basic white folks are. Because if black people had the freedom to protest in that manner, I promise you it wouldn't be to take no damn pictures. I promise you it wouldn't have been over in a matter of hours. And this is like why people need to remind themselves that white people are basic as fuck. Like these white people, when I think of them, I think of like rednecks. Rednecks that come from the South, like always outside in nature, cutting trees, just, you know, dirt on their shoes. There used to be a show on TV with a bunch of rednecks and I can't like the ducks or something, something like that. Um, and I picture these white people as people like hairs that are very greasy, like they don't wash their hairs every day, dirt underneath their nails. I picture these as people that haven't been to the dentist since maybe 10 years ago. This is how I begin to picture these people. Now that might be not an accurate description of all of them, but this is how I picture them because I just don't see who else in the world is wearing an American flag around their neck and a, a Trump flag around their neck other than fucking rednecks. Because rednecks are like dumb and let me tell you why these people are dumb trump doesn't give a fuck about the poor no matter if you're white or black he does not give the give a fuck about the poor so for you coming rallying for this man to win really just shows that you're even more a racist because you're a racist because like you're only rallying for this man because he's white and he necessarily has problematic views when it comes to race and demographics. So like he has problematic views. So you attach yourself to him because of those same similar views, not because he's doing anything to make you better. He's not promising you a damn thing. That's why when you go down South, you see more Trump signs because the education of these white people aren't that well. And historically they feel as though everything that's wrong in the world began when desegregation began to happen, when slavery was ended. They think that everything that is wrong in the world all roots back to that. And they really do believe that the reason that they haven't been able to excel in life is because, you know, black people were given options that they should not have had. Not because they are just incompetent and inept. They really do believe that if we were still in slavery and schools and buildings and businesses were still segregated, they would be somewhere further along than what they are. And what you need to understand about white people in general is that even like the upper class, middle class, educated white folk don't even deal with these type of white folk. They're like the piss poor of white folk. Like when you think of like um, public housing, public benefits, like uh, uh, like first of the month checks, don't think of black people. Think of these poor white trash people because the biggest users of public resources are these groups of people that came to terrorize America. And I think the scary thing about all of this is that like you had political figures that were inside that Capitol not knowing what was going to happen because it could have went crazy and went left very quickly 
quickly. They could have came there with some bombs and like started shooting up and blowing things up. And these people could have lost their lives. Just imagine like the political figures, family members or close friends that are like trying to figure out if they're okay or if they're going to make it out. And all these motherfuckers want to do is to break shit and take pictures. It's just ignorant. But the biggest thing about it is like people are like, oh, where are the police officers? Where's that same energy used with black people? Police officers ain't doing shit to nobody with the same skin as them. And you know why? Because the law was created to protect everybody that's white. So of course they don't really think that they're doing anything wrong. So of course they're not going to shoot. And then you also have to think about how many police officers agree with this bullshit. How many police officers are like, you know, taking pictures with these terrorists or edging them on or telling them where to go. White people are in cahoots. And it's a situation where like black people would have never gotten the same amount of freedom to do something as ignorant. So as someone that's from DC, you can't even even walk up on the Capitol without like secret services crowding around you. It's not somewhere that you're supposed to be unless you have been invited. It is not even a place that you can tour unless you have an invitation. So to imagine that these people were able to do so much and not one bullet shot, like it's just like, it's amazing. This is like white privilege. This is the example of like what America has historically done. And based on like just history, I can't believe that Biden felt the need to say that this is not the America that we are. Biden, what the fuck is it? Because this is the America I know. I've only been alive for 29 years, Biden. You're the oldest, you know, president. So I know you've been around at least since 1930s. What America do you know? America is not changing. America is savages. They are people that thrive off possession and power and they don't care how they get possession or power. Similar to Trump, they will steal, they will kill, they will destroy for power. And the reason that Trump is saying in so many ways that like, you know, the election is rigged is because he rigged his first election. Please, please look at these things. Ain't nobody calling out something that they have never done before if they don't know, in fact, that it is able to be happening. So he's saying that it's rigged because he knows that it's possible for it to be rigged because that's how he became president. But back to Biden. Biden, like, I think my um, news or opinion to you or advice to you is this. No one is expecting you to live through your whole president's candidacy. Like, no one is expecting you to live for four years because you're old. You look fragile. Between COVID and the stress, ain't nobody really expecting you to make it. We're looking for um, Harris to be the first black female president. That's what we're looking for. Um, So, like, what you should be thinking about is how can you be intentional with your precious amount of time that you have left? What could you really say for people to remember you as someone other than a man that strived for success but never really met the mark or someone that has been associated with a success but never his own um, success? So this is what I think Biden could have said. America, this is what we are. We are a racist nation. We are a group of people that have historically done wrong to thrive and to be successful. But this is what we're not going to do anymore. All of this has come to light now because Donald Trump has edged these people on and has basically tell them to come out and do whatever they want to do because nothing's going to happen to them. But this is not the America that we need to be. We need to be America that is holding people accountable, being equal for all people, blah, 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 blah. But don't get up saying that this is not the America we know. I don't need that shit, Biden. Let me tell you, we don't need that shit. 
Now, we're not expecting you to perform any miracles for the black community, but what we don't have time for you is spitting all these lies that you call Trump out for during your, your election. Tell the truth. This is America. Like, ain't nobody else going to be shocked if you say it. If anything, people are going to be shocked that you're actually telling the truth. Uh, this is America. This is who we are. And just imagine, like, all the other countries in a group chat just laughing their ass up about America. Because one thing about America, America has more pride in itself than a man from Morehouse. And if you ever interacted with a man from Morehouse, you know that they are some cocky motherfuckers. America is very cocky in their belief that like people should desire to want to be here. We offer so much great stuff. Other countries have nothing on us when we are like one of the countries in the highest debt, worst education and racism is thriving and alive in every way. So like Biden, please be intentional about like what you say out of your mouth. Please make sure that America isn't the laughing stock anymore. I don't think you can do it all on your own, but you can do something to make people start and start to respect us a little more. Cause I think after this, there's no respect on our name. If we had another terrorist attack, I wouldn't even be surprised because I think just seeing that people can like break into the Capitol this easily. What is that not going to motivate some lunatic to try it to like the government is just trash. And I just think about like all the government money that we put into police and none of them were present yesterday. And I'm just figuring out where is this money going? Because it's not going to my account. Because if you're anything like me, you haven't even got your STEMI yet. So I haven't even got a stimulus check yet. And so I'm like, oh, they have money because they're holding my money. And I'm like, the police are greatly funded. Where were they yesterday? They were nowhere to be found. But let me tell you something, black people. Because we always tend to have this, you know, this feeling to save people. This is not our battle. Say it with me. This is not our battle. We are not here to save white people. We are not here to offer them a hand. If someone at work asks you, how do you feel about what's happening, especially if they're white, ask them, how do they feel? Because my emotions have been the same from the beginning. This ain't nothing new. This is who you are. We're not here to save them. Just sit back and mind your business. Sit back with a glass of wine, get some popcorn and laugh. Sit back and think about how Shonda Rhimes couldn't have wrote a better season finale than the one that we're watching now because it's about to be better. This is like a two-part season finale because if you think it's this crazy when Biden and Harris are being confirmed as president and vice president, just wait till the inauguration. Mayor Browser has already put the city of DC on lockdown for 15 days. Like that's how like crazy, you know, it is like it's about to get crazy. So when he is, um, when the inauguration is taking place, what I need you to think about is it's the same matter of thinking and like scariness that we had when Obama won. Because if you're anything like me, when Obama won in 2009 and I was watching the inauguration, I was like, oh, this man's going to get killed. This is about to be Malcolm X, MLK all over again. And when it didn't happen, I was shocked. So we need to amp this energy up to understand that like it's about to be that plus more because it's not even the fact that Biden won. It's the fact that Trump lost that's really edging all of them on. And like we have to remind ourselves that black people, this is a, this has been our experience all along. We need to just sit back and mind our business and let white people be white. White people are going to be white and we don't need to help them be anything other than what they are. Accept them for who they are. Don't believe that they're going to change. Do what you need to do to advance yourself, but don't help these white people. What I'm going to tell you, what I'm going to be doing for the next two, three weeks is just sitting and watching, having my laugh, sharing my memes and my group chats, because this is hilarious. It's like good TV. 
Like, we thought 2020 was good TV, but 2021 is letting us know, uh uh-uh, I am the child, I'm the middle child. I'm causing terror. Like, if you've ever interacted with a middle child, they are always out for attention. And I think 2021 is saying that, oh, yeah, y'all gave this oldest child attention, but I'm trying to let you know. to go to or the love story that I had for HBCUs. Um, my love story for HBCUs begins like back as a child, seeing like both of my parents like interact with like their friends that graduated from um, historically black colleges or even like traveling with my parents to homecoming and seeing them walk around campus tailgating um you know meeting their frats and sorrows and like just that whole nostalgic experience and I was like I wanted that but when I became of age where I was really able to understand what it was it was shows like a different world and drumline and something yard that really put the battery in my back through like yes that's what I wanted to experience so like a different world was like one of the shows that I saw like from back in the day that where it was where it was an all black cast and it was like a black campus it was in between Howard or Hampton and it was a really great place it was like good love good like you learn to grow up you had good friends and I was like I want my college experience to be just like that I was like I want to be Whitley I want to find my Dwayne happily ever after that shit ain't real but whatever that's the topic um, and then Drumline, like Drumline had all of us wanting to be in a band, all of us going to football games to see the band. But once I got to college, um, I didn't play an instrument, so that was never going to happen. But like seeing what the band members had to go through, like walking around campus in like 90 degree weather in full blown uniforms and carrying an instrument, mm-mm, that's not for me. I can't do that type of work. I'm not a worker. No. So, but it was still like the whole idea of college being like this great experience, great music, great food, great clothing, and a place where like black people were just around each other, really living it up. That like really got me excited about the idea of applying and getting accepted to colleges and going away from home. So home is DC for me. So we know that one of the biggest schools, the Mecca, is Howard University is housed in DC. My mother was the assistant principal of a school in 14th and V, so many of like the places I went as a child was around Howard campus. So when I played basketball or when I went to go walk to the corner store or go places with my friends after school, we were always around the Howard campus getting to see like Howard students. They came to our schools to kind of like mentor us and they really pushed us to like go to places where people looked like us. So like I think that's one of the first places where I was like, yes, I wanted to go to Howard. Um, I ultimately had like my middle school graduation at Crampton or Crampton, whatever, uh, auditorium on Howard. And, you know, we used to go to like the Howard homecomings with my parents or with like little programs where I ran. We were able to go to the football games. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Bands in the North are very different than bands in the South. So Howard never gave me like that drumline feel, but it was still good to see all these black people, you know, on the field celebrating each other. Um, so when I got into high school, I applied for Howard and they denied me. Boom. But guess what? I was not sad at all 
because if I had went to Howard, my mother and father was going to like make me live at home. And what's the point of going to college if like you really can't leave home? Now, everybody's parents are different, but like if I was at home for college, most likely that meant like, you know, I was going to have a curfew. They would want to know what was going on every day. They would want me to go to church every Sunday. And that would have just felt like high school all over again. I didn't want to find myself underneath my parents' roof. So getting denied from Howard was like by far one of the greatest things for me because I was able to stretch out and explore. Now with being chose to go to Elizabeth City, I ultimately like lied to my parents and said I didn't get accepted. But I mind you, I tell you that my parents are alumni. So my mother called like one of her sororers that was in the missions and was like, oh, y'all denied my baby. And the girl was like, no, we never even got our application. Like, fuck, I didn't want to go there. I mean, I think my father really knew that I didn't want to go there, but he didn't really push for it. So I ended up going to Elizabeth City. And um, like the first few days, I hated it. Like, if you know anything about Elizabeth City, and most likely you don't, Elizabeth City is in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. It's 45 to an hour away from Chesapeake. Now, mind you, Chesapeake doesn't have a lot either, but that's just the biggest city that people are able to remember or recognize when you mention Elizabeth City. So Elizabeth City is mainly known for maybe the Coast Guard that is there. And the next big thing, next big thing there is probably walmart and then the campus and the reason i say walmart first is because elizabeth city is a predominantly white community so they don't really fuck with our campus the most like you don't even really see like arnelia inside the stores so yeah that lets you know how they don't really you know mess with us for real for real so um i just didn't like it it was nothing to do it was in the middle of nowhere it was hot as fuck like southern heat is a different type of heat like, you'll wake up and it'll be, like, 95 degrees outside. So, it was just like, mm. Um, but I ended up making friends my freshman year. Um, it was about four or five of us. Um, and we used to, like, go to class, hang out in dorm rooms, go to the cast together, go to parties and stuff together. And that was just our routine. I think, like, my best semester of college had to be, like, my freshman fall semester because it was, like, everything that was in the movies. We had, like, stomp the yard moments. We had, like, programs where, like, it was lots of music, lots of fun, lots of dancing. You got to see, like, the Greeks, um, you know, pledge and have their... Um, probates you also got to see like different talent shows on campus it was just like the great experience and I think it was like the first time that you actually got to see black people from all over in one place uh, with like different backgrounds and different identities like learning from each other but also my freshman um year it was a humbling process I made a mistake and took eight o'clock classes and those classes you know kind of caused me to fail a few um, you know, almost fail a few classes <laughs> or assignments. I didn't fail classes. I failed assignments because like eight o'clock is hella early in college. Do not make that mistake of taking an eight o'clock class because you're like, oh, I woke up at eight o'clock for high school. That is totally different. That is totally different because ain't nobody waking you up in college. Do not take a class before nine. Some people even say 10. Um, I was the one that took classes at nine, 10 and 11 so I can be done by 12, but that doesn't work for everyone. You have to figure out what works for you. Um, so as you can tell, what I love the most about HBCUs is like the culture and the music. I think, um, what was really important to me is that I always tell you that, um, no one is going to love you like an HBCU does. Um, whether it's the love that you get from your peers, whether it's the loves that you get from like your advisors, um, and mainly the love that you get from your professors. So I was an English major in Johnson Hall. 
and many of my professors were like black women. I maybe had three professors that were not black. Um, one was a white woman named Dr. McPhee, but she was great. She was from Canada and she was by far like someone that helped me get into grad school and really helped me develop my writing over my three years in college. Um, but the professor that stands out to me the most is like Dr. Griffin. Um, Dr. Griffin taught me British literature. Um, it was a class that was at 2.30 on like two days a week. So it was like an hour and a half class. And I think it was the reason I had to take that class is because I waited to the last minute to set up or apply for my classes or make my schedule. And she was the only one left. Um, Dr. Griffin was a great lady, but 2.30 on campus is when everything's happening. So I was in class and missing everything. So that was always a bum. Like it was always a situation of, are you going to go to class or are you going to continue to sit on the bricks? Um, so I ended up going to class and Dr. Griffin used to like troll me. Like I could be sitting there minding my business. I did all my work, did all my papers. And she'll be like, oh Lauren, what's your opinion on this? Mind you, it's over 20 other kids in the classroom that she never called on. It got to the point where like she was asking me to lead the discussions on like Bay Buff or lead discussions on things that we were talking about in class and in my mind I was just like Dr. Griffin if you just don't leave me the fuck alone like I'm just trying to get up out of here and when I graduated she wrote me a card and it was basically like you have a voice but it's up to you to use it and it all began to make sense as to why like she was really pushing for me to talk in class and share my opinions um because this is a place where I needed to find my voice. I needed to find out like what I stood for and what didn't align to me in practice, like using my voice in a public space outside of like my direct friends. Ultimately, you know, I became a teacher and I'm not going to say it was because of Dr. Griffin, but she did give me some practice beforehand. And I think it's just those type of personal relationships that you get at smaller um, institutions or black institutions where your teachers and your advisors and the adults on campus kind of serve as like your aunties, uncles, and your moms and dads when you're away from them. Like they really take care of you and they really love on you. Um, it's always like you need to know someone that's out of financial aid to help you get those last few dollars you need for the semester. You need to know someone inside the um, book room so you can get your books without having to stand in line. Uh, you need to know someone in the calf because you're not always going to have enough swipes. So you need to be able to eat. And then like your dorm director, sometimes it's good to know them. So like, you know, you have a moment that you need to check in or you're having an issue or it's a room where it's available and you want it. Having that relationship with your dorm director is very beneficial. My freshman dorm director was Mama Dot. And Mama Dot used to have like these meetings with us once a week where like she told us things about life and told us what not to do. And she's like, well, I know some of y'all got men crawling through y'all windows, but I'm gonna let y'all do what y'all need to do. But don't think I don't know. And it's just like, you know, it wasn't just regular business for them. It was like they really cared for us and they really took care of us when like our parents were away. And to this day, I still go back home. And when I say home, I mean Elizabeth City almost twice a year just to relive those feelings, just to have that nostalgic feeling back. Because it's by far like the only time in my current adult life where you can be free, get with your friends from college all in one place, you know, think about what things were like when you were there and be irresponsible for 72 hours. The best thing about home, um, HBCUs is homecoming. Homecoming is when it takes place in the fall in late September, October, or early November. 
And, you know, all the alumni come back and the current students are there. We have a great football uh, game. You have the band, you have the tailgating. Then you have like chilling on the yard, going to like different plots and stuff to get food or to hang out with different people. It's usually live music, a party, a concert or something like that. And that's all that you do that weekend. But as an adult, it's different because like you're coming back to something that you, you know, you miss. You're coming back to something that isn't aligned to like your daily lifestyle. And you're just getting to see people that you know by face, but not by name. I can picture myself right now getting out of my car with a pair of shades on, no matter the weather, a solo cup in my hand, walking into the game and like hugging people. I have no idea what their name is, but I remember their faces and I remember what we used to do together in college. I know like firsthand when I get to campus, um, I'm going to quality seafood. I'm going to go get my two crab cakes and a side of shrimp. Like that is my routine every time I go to Elizabeth City. I also know that I'm going to stop at the ABC store because the ABC store closes at eight o'clock and you need to get all your spirits before, you know, you head out for your nightly activities. I'm going to go to cookout after the party because I need something to rejuvenate me and to soak up all the liquor. Like these are my routines. Like this is what me, Jelly, and the King, um, sometimes in the key, do every year. And it's just a time where you just get back together and like just relive and be a child again so I think the best thing about HBCUs is homecoming um but when there's a talk about what is the best option for kids to apply to or go to in college I think it ultimately depends on the kid I want to enter the space saying like you know as a black kid you should go to a black institution but I do know that these institutions have their own hiccups and setbacks so historically HBCUs don't give a lot of financial aid because they just don't have it they have over like 1500 2000 freshmen trying to get into school with GPAs ranging from everything 2.0 to a 4.0 students that did everything where like you know when determining who needs financial aid or who needs scholarships it's a very you know tough battle so ultimately like everyone doesn't get scholarship money and that is really the indicator of when you want to go to a school like how much is it going to cost you out of pocket and a lot of these hbcus don't offer money and a lot of them like the big ones like the howards the spellmans the morehouse um the xavier's these are the really expensive schools the amts the fam use so like you're like oh i can't go there so let me go to like my regular um local school which is most likely a pwi because they're offering you more money And I get it, like, you know, go where the money resides, but it's also a situation where, like, you also have to think about, like, what is your experience going to be? And when I talk to a lot of people that went to, like, these PWIs, they had to find people that were aligned to them because mostly they felt like outsiders in an institution that wasn't built for people that look like them. And I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't, you know, try to learn how to deal with that. But the one reason I think it was best for me to go to HBCUs was it was the only place where, like, it was predominantly African-Americans made by African-Americans for African-Americans. Like, I didn't have to modify myself just because of my white counterparts. And I think, you know, you grow uh, more when you're in a comfortable space. You grow when you feel comfortable. Um, You grow when you feel like you can be nurtured and you're going to get what you need. And I don't necessarily think that's always the experience at these PWIs. 
Um, also, I think what people should really look into is that Howard is not the only HBCU. There's hella other HBCUs that are smaller and least expensive that kids can look into attending. It's also like if you don't get a lot of money your freshman year, go to a PWI, get a hella high GPA, and then transfer into an HBCUs. There are ways around systems to get what you need, but you ultimately have to pick what you want and what works best for you. I'm always going to push HBCUs on kids because, you know, I think it's important for black people to have spaces where they get to see different type of black people outside of the place where they're from. I think it's a great way to learn and get to know yourself and know your history as a black person here in America. And I think it's only the one time in your life for four to five years where you're going to be in a space with like-minded black people preparing you for excellence. But I think on the other hand, a lot of these institutions are struggling to stay open and struggling to stay afloat because kids are deciding that they don't want to go to these schools or they're not getting a lot of donations. Um, I'm someone that rarely donates to my college because I suffer from this feeling that like I didn't get any money when I was in college. So I was on the chancellor's list, the dean's list several times and I never got a scholarship. And, you know, it's just like, why should I give back when they didn't give to me? And it's like, you got to get out of that ignorant, childish thinking, Lauren. Um, so this year, one of my friends offered that we give donations to Elizabeth City in his name for his birthday gift. So I donated my money and I actually felt good because, you know, sometimes giving does make you feel good. But I also felt great when I realized that it was a tax um, tax deduction is something that could help me in the long run. So I'm going to kind of make it a quarterly tradition to donate something to Elizabeth City. It doesn't have to be great. I can't give a million dollars, but I'm just hoping that look, my little donation can help with something, maybe buying the toilet tissue for the campus or something. But, you know, yeah, it can buy a chair for the student um, center. But every little bit counts. And in order for us to have everyone experience what we experience, we have to pour back into the institution that pours so much into you. So if you take anything from this episode, one, we know that white people are crazy and they're going to continue to be crazy. But us black people, it is not our battle. Just sit back, watch and cackle with your friends. Also, pick the institutions that work best for you. Um, money is important, but also experience is everything. So pick something that is going to give you the best experience. And then lastly, donate to your institution, whether it's a PWI, whether it's a HBCU, whether it's a community college. Donate and give back. So thank you for listening. Please follow me on Instagram at runthatishback. And if you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your mama, your auntie, and your uncles. Love you. Peace.